millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. As the Kremlin bans 52 Irish politicians and officials from Russian soil, their ambassador is summoned to a meeting and told it's unacceptable. Is the whole thing all bark and no bite? It's not the norm in a diplomatic uh, situation to be uh, really essentially engaging in propaganda, a form of hybrid warfare. Another major blow for motorists as toll roads throughout the country are to be hit with huge hikes in the new year, with charges being raised to their maximum level. And we look at some of the other big stories of the week with our panel. You can join the conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. was held between officials from the Department of Foreign Affairs and Russian Ambassador Yuri Filatov, at which the ambassador was told that Russia's behaviour was absolutely unacceptable. This comes after the Kremlin released a statement yesterday which banned entry to the Taoiseach, Thornista and 50 other top officials in response to Western sanctions over Ukraine. The Taoiseach, Michal Martin, said that the move was a form of hybrid warfare. It's not the norm in a diplomatic uh, situation to be uh, really essentially engaging in propaganda, a form of hybrid warfare. This is part of Russia's misinformation campaign, uh, endeavouring to undermine the bona fides of Ireland in respect um, of our commitment to peace. Uh, and we will not be deflected from our stance of solidarity with the Ukrainian people or opposition to an immoral and illegal war against the Ukrainian people. Well, here with me to discuss is Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles, Assistant Professor in the School of Politics and International Relations in UCD, Tobias Tyler, and journalist David Davenpower. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, to come to you first, Shane, on all of this, what can you tell us about this meeting that took place today? Yes, well, I think the, you know, the Taoiseach has spoken very strongly about it there and indeed all week in the Dáil as well. I suppose the, uh, it was the Deputy General Secretary of the uh, Department of Foreign Affairs who met with the, uh, the Russian ambassador and conveyed um, Ireland's position, uh, conveyed our um, remaining or our continued support for the Ukrainian people mm. and explicitly said to them as well, in fact, in the illegality of this war being perpetrated. And I think the Taoiseach has conveyed there in the clip that you showed uh, that we're not going to be threatened uh, by this kind of propaganda war that they want to engage with. Uh, and I think he's been very strong all week in making sure that the resolution of the Irish people behind the Ukrainian okay. people uh, remains so. All right, so what we got at the end of that statement on the Russian ambassador meeting the Department of Foreign Affairs uh, from the department was the minister is consulting with his senior <coughs> officials this evening and will be bringing further details to the party leaders in government in due course. Um, we wonder what Yuri Filatov had to say about all of that. Like, do we know? This was obviously triggered by the 52 blacklisted politicians 
We got six named on that stop list. Um, Micheál Martin, Leo Varadkar, as we've said, Sean O'Farrell, uh, the Can Corla, Simon Coveney, Helen McEntee and Pascal Donoghue. Uh, but the rest won't be named. We won't find out who the, the, the overall 52 are. Do you think they should be named? Why, why was that decision made? Um, well, I actually see some of my colleagues actually naming themselves tonight uh, on their social media accounts because calls have been made from uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs to... Um, people who have been on the list, and I can actually see some of them actually naming themselves and saying that they remain uh, resolute in their support. Of I'd the, say they're uh, happy to do that. I'd say some <coughs> of your colleagues probably see it as a bit of a badge of honour. Do they, Shane? Um, yes, because they're supporting the, the Ukrainian people, and so if they've been blacklisted by the by the, the Russian ambassador and the, the Russian uh, president, they do see that as that. But you're not on the list. I'm not on the list. No, I've had no call from the Department of Foreign Affairs. But I think collectively, how we feel uh, about this is that you know. It is obviously emotional in terms of you see top officials, you see the Taoiseach sanctioned um, by, by the Russians, but we, you know, we need to make sure that equally okay. uh, that we maintain diplomatic links as well and that we maintain uh, those... Um, and that's the government's stance. <coughs> when you're talking about that, that's on these repeated and growing calls <coughs> for the ambassador to be expelled. Yeah, and, I, and I, I was on your show earlier this year as well during the start of the war when those calls were being made in the very first week. And one thinks about that. And had we, you know, made a knee-jerk reaction and been, you know, emotionally just saying, yes, we're going to, as, as, as the language has been used, pack his bags and send him home. Say, for example, this week, if you had done that, you wouldn't have those lines of communication for diplomacy to actually uh, seek to have the ambassador come to Ivy House and have those discussions. Right, have those discussions that actually we're on a banned list now, 52 officials. <laughs> Let's get um, Tobias in here on this. Um, like, how unusual is it for a country like Ireland to be targeted in this way? We say that we are uh, neutral, well, militarily neutral, at least, Tobias, and the other countries um, that have been targeted with, with, say, travel bans on individuals, it's, it's, it's NATO countries. Um, so what's happening? That's true, but I think what matters most for Russia is the fact that Ireland is part of the EU sanctions regime, and I think because of that, it simply treats Ireland like it does, like it treats the other EU countries. And the Russians have been in, installing travel bans left, right and centre. Almost every Western country has a whole range of politicians that have been banned. Uh, Russia, Canada, just the other day, had loads of people banned. So this is just the normal way. And of course, that was also even before the Ukraine invasion. Uh, after the Crimea annexation, already certain travel bans were initiated against Russian oligarchs and against Russian politicians. And Russia then started to retaliate. And since then, there was really a tit-for-tat thing and this has been going on for years now okay. and of course it came to a head with the Ukraine uh, with the Ukraine war. Uh, let's see what the Russian foreign ministry had to say on these personal sanctions against members of the government and politicians of Ireland. Um, they have said in response to the anti-Russian course of the Irish government which unconditionally supports the unilateral restrictive measures introduced by the European Union against Russian citizens, uh, a decision was made to include 52 key representatives of the leadership and political figures of Ireland on the Russian stop list. Um, further on, it says, acting under the dictation of Brussels, Ireland is conducting an aggressive anti-Russian propaganda campaign saying that one of the consequences of fueling Russophobic hysteria in Irish society was the attack on the Russian embassy in Dublin in March of this year. And when you hear that, David, you wonder, well, why, um, I guess, why didn't uh, the Russians do it in March of this year? Well, I suppose it's all ratcheting up pressure on the countries they see as their, as their enemies. Um, Ireland has been really uh, pretty strident in its criticism of uh, the illegal Russian invasion uh, for a small nation that's at one remove uh, 
uh, from the conflict, I think we really have put our money where our mouth is, uh, reflecting, I think, the widespread view of people here. Um, I think it's just, as the Taoiseach said, another form of warfare. It would be interesting just the same to see the entire list. Uh, is it all politicians? Are there officials on it, for instance? Uh, are there prominent business people with links with Russia? But a decision seems to have been taken uh, uh, not to disclose the entire list of people uh, who have been banned in this way. Not that it's going to make any practical difficulty. Do, do you think that decision has been made not to draw attention to it or to, to, to fuel more publicity around it? It seems like individual politicians are happy uh, to go and say that they're on that list. Well, that's why I, I, I say I'd be interested to see if there were officials on that list who might not uh, really welcome having their names um, uh, uh, in the public domain in this context. But I think um, a third thing to say is that it sort of chips away again at this perception that Ireland is neutral in mm. a general way because we are obviously being identified uh, by Russia uh, as an enemy in this conflict if they're taking this action. Yeah, clearly we're not neutral in all of this, Shane. I mean, it just goes to show, <laughs> doesn't it, when we have the Kremlin saying, well, 52 senior politicians and officials are now in the travel ban list. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be there, would we? If we took a, a neutral stance in all of this, yeah, and I suppose there was, a, you know, there was there was several tit for tats and back and forth between uh, members of the extreme left wing parties this week and the Taoiseach, and 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 that point was being made. And the, the Taoiseach made the point: we're militarily neutral, but no nation is is neutral in terms of the humanitarian uh, fallout from uh, this war. What either. Was it? When Are you talk about tit for tat, th these these were parties and people that were calling um, for the expulsion of the Ru Russian ambassador. Is that right? Uh, they were calling for the expulsion of the Russian ambassador, but maybe with Russian sentiments as well. But the, 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 but the, the thing, but, but they were calling for that, and it's quite interesting then as well because we have people within government, within your own party, this petition that was set up, and there was. A lot of support behind that saying, you know, Yuri Filatov should not be in this country. He should be sent straight to the airport. Yeah, absolutely. And I make the point again in terms of if we have a situation where we're, we're not keeping lines of communications, regardless of the propaganda war that's going on on the surface, and the Taoiseach reflected that as well. For example, we, I'm a member of the Organisation of Security Cooperation in Europe. We had a meeting in uh, the middle of the summer where the Russian delegation and their delegation is led by the deputy leader in the Duma uh, couldn't get into, the meeting was held in Birmingham, couldn't get into uh, Birmingham because they couldn't get visas to get in. We're actually meeting again in Warsaw next week okay. and the diplomatic passports apparently are being allowed for the Russians to all, attend. But it's all flowing one way now. It's interesting, isn't it? Because because this the, the Kremlin has made this move to Vice, it means that you know, if the Taoiseach did want to travel to Moscow, he can't. Yes, um, although I mean... Is this, is this <clears throat> important? Do you think there's a significance in all of this or does this just go along with, with war? And as the Taoiseach pointed to, this is a form of hybrid warfare. Do you think it is? I mean, one thing that strikes me is that compared to other countries against whose politicians travel bans were imposed. Ireland seems to take this very seriously. I mean, in Canada, it was just ignored. It was just brushed off as a sideshow. And that's really what it is. It's just a sideshow. It's not really relevant. It's just one of those games, the same, mm. the question whether or not the ambassador should be expelled, it's a sideshow. It's not really important. You know, the ambassador is just a mouthpiece Do you think, though, government. it's different in Ireland because we hold ourselves up as being neutral we're, we're not, our officials would not be used to, say, travel bans in this regard. This is unprecedented, if you like, in this country, isn't it? I'd say it is, but I think it has always been clear in that conflict that Ireland is not politically neutral. Ireland was supporting the EU sanctions regime. It has clearly condemned, as it should have done, it has clearly condemned the invasion of Ukraine. So, so it's not really neutral in that sense. It, it, it's militarily neutral. But again, I think it's really important not to get sidetracked by that. And I think part of 
what the Russians intend by doing this is to really divert attention away from what's happening in Ukraine, and that's what we should yeah. all be focusing Tobias, on. Tobias, tell us about that. In the context of the war, um, how significant is the timing of this ban? Um, because the Russian foreign ministry, as we said, does talk about the consequence of fueling Russophobic hysteria in Irish society. But that accusation stems back from March of this year. Yeah, but then they would say that, you know, like they... I mean, that's just their... So, I, like my, yeah, so why, why now? What, what Do you think that there's something happening on the ground that there's this feeling that, look, we need to ratchet up this pressure at a diplomatic level? I think that... So my suspicion is that the Russians were just kind of working down the list. You know, they were starting with the US and Germany and Canada, and then they kind of gradually... And now they are at Ireland. Right? I think so Ireland just kind of had to wait for its travel bans to, <laughs> to, to be installed. I think there isn't much more behind that kind of timing. And I think it's important not to try to read too much into it. Okay. Just in terms of um, the embassy, I think it wouldn't be a good idea to close the embassy. Okay. I, I think for all kinds of reasons. I think it is important to keep channels of communication Yeah, open. let's talk about that. David, what, what's your view on it, on this idea that you keep those diplomatic <coughs> ties, but at the same time, it would appear by this move that that moves in maybe one direction? Well, I think the, there's no merit in expelling the ambassador. Countries need to be able to talk to each other face to face. I suppose one avenue that the government could explore is looking at the number of accredited diplomats in the embassy. There's quite a few. Um, certainly, uh, I think there would be suspicion that some of them aren't bona fide diplomats. But then I think we have only a handful of uh, diplomats in, in Moscow. So the argument might be that if we expel a proportion of uh, the Russian staff in Orwell Road, that we might be left with maybe just our ambassador in the charge. Uh, when the Russians retaliate in Moscow. But I do think it's something the government is probably looking at, uh, uh, reducing the number of accredited diplomats in the embassy because uh, they know they have to keep the lines of commu communication open. Expelling an ambassador is, is really... Uh, I hesitate to use the expression in this context, but it is kind of the nuclear option mm. in diplomatic terms. Yeah, um, and Tobias, just to get an overview on what's happening um, in Ukraine at the moment, um, where do you believe at this point uh, it's, it's all going? So what seems to be happening is that the conflict is to some extent, it, it, it's become frozen a little bit. So the Russians have withdrawn from Kherson uh, across the river. They are trying to rebuilding, like they're sh shipping reinforcements to their troops there. They obviously they doubt this mobilization. They're, they're training the new conscripts, but not much is likely going to happen for the next couple of months simply because it's winter. It, it gets very, very cold. And of course, the other thing the Russians are doing is they are deliberately and very, uh, in a very systematic way, trying to destroy the Ukrainian energy infrastructure. That's a very, very important thing because temperatures in Ukraine get very, very low. It goes minus 20, minus 25 degrees. So if you, uh, you know, if you cut people off power, you're essentially, you know, you're responsible for mass killings, essentially. So that's really the so the Russians are trying to wear the population down, at the, trying to destroy the morale, mm. at the same time re reinforcing their troops. That seems to be what, what's this, happening And this is, as feared, the long, drawn-out war, and we could be yeah. heading for the first anniversary of it. If you're, if you're talking about going into the new year, soon February, March will be upon us. Um, there we'll have to leave that conversation. Uh, my thanks to Tobias, who joined us. Um, the rest of my panel will be staying on with me coming up after the break. More pain for motorists as Transport Infrastructure Ireland decides to drive up the cost of toll charges.
welcome back. You've paid the tax, you've paid the insurance, you've paid record high prices to actually fill your car. And now motorists are set to be hit with yet another hike, the tolls. Transport Infrastructure Ireland have taken the decision to raise prices to the maximum allowed rate come January 1st, stating that the move was driven by the current rate of inflation. Shane Castles and David Davenport are still with me, and I'm also joined by motoring editor for the Sunday Independent, Geraldine Herbert. Um, Jared, to come to you on this, this is really, really going to annoy people. Like we've talked about all the price rises that are already being faced by motorists in this cost of living um, crisis. Um, but now we have Transport Infrastructure Ireland, which is the state agency, um, making this call to, to up prices to the maximum allowed level. Tell us what sort of increases motorists are likely to see come the new year. Yeah, I, I think, Claire, this is possibly the most cynical aspect of all of this is the fact that it's the maximum that they could have done. That's what they've imposed. And I think there's a case to be made for, you know, for companies and particularly the state agencies to recognise that, you know, costs need to be absorbed by companies and not passed directly on to consumers. So nobody's saying that, the, you know, the roadways and the motorway doesn't need maintenance and that toll collection isn't costly, but I still don't think that they should have imposed the entire, you know, the, the full, the maximum um, increase that they could have. If, if you're looking at something like the M50, somebody who's... Um, on the M55 days a week is probably paying about 2,000 in tolls at the moment. They're probably going to pay, I think it's about 40 cent, so it's 20 cent each journey, so 40 cent a day. But that adds up probably to about 100 euros a year. God, that extra. Put it like that, they're paying, say, 2,000 euro, and now it's <coughs> going to be uh, up to 2,100. It's an awful, it's a huge amount of money to be spending, isn't it? Just travelling the roads, especially in the case of the M50, which is wholly state-owned at this point. It is, and remember as well, there are people who have actually the tags, so they're the people who are paying the least amount in the increase. If you're an unregistered car, if you're one of those who just make the odd journey on the M50, you're even going to be paying more. If you're a goods vehicle, you're going to be paying more again. Um, yeah, the M50 is an interesting case because it's actually directly operated by the TII, so it's a bit of poach, you know, gamekeeper turned poacher in the sense, or poacher turned gamekeeper in the sense that you know they're actually approving yeah. their own increases which seems bizarre. Shane, we had today the Thornish expressing surprise, we had the Taoiseach expressing concern about all of this, but at the same time it's been signed off on, it's coming into effect in January, um, and the TII is saying all of this is justified. Do you buy it? Absolutely not. It's tone deaf by the TII and indeed the, the PPP companies as well. So this for, is the public-private partnerships that mm -hmm. run eight of eight. Absolutely. Of these roads. And so for example, so for example, the M3 that goes through my own county Mead is is one of the larger PPP uh, schemes in the country. And I was just looking at the figures released last month for the money that they made and the profits they made. They had a 13.5% increase in their daily traffic volumes. They were making a quarter of a million euro a week in profit. Their profits, they had record profits of 11 million euro last year. Right. So Geraldine's so right in terms of their ability to yeah. absorb these costs are very real. But hold on a second now. We did hear, you know, a lot of sort of consternation in the doll and we heard from the opposition benches, um, David Cullinan of Sinn Féin, putting the blame on gold-plated Fianna Fáil era contracts, that these sort of increases are completely allowable under these contracts. Yeah, it was interesting. I was listening to, to David Cullinan and, and his pronouncements because the same lads, when we were building that motorway back in 2005, 2007, were the same fellows up trees and down rabbit holes, actually stopping the motorways and against having the motorways to begin in the first okay. place. And by doing that, they added €150 million Euro in construction costs because they were up on a load of crosses trying to stop motorway and put it in place, an actual proper okay. roadway 
roadway infrastructure might, into the country. There might have been people recently campaigning uh, who would not like to be called cross uh, because, uh, because, Claire, on top of that, they were perpetrating a lie at the time. They were saying that that road was interfering with the national heritage. It was a mile okay, and a half you're, away you're from getting, the Hill of If you don't mind me saying so, you're getting completely away from the point. We're talking about contracts that were signed Absolutely. with these companies. Mm -hmm. And now these same companies can hike these charges come January to the maximum rate allowable. And I think that's and that what, was signed. I, I, that was signed. These these were contracts and, that were arranged I, I, by government. I, absolutely. And of course those, so where's those, the blame but those, those motorways Can you accept some blame? Those 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 roadway infrastructure, which by the way, when we were you know kids growing up in the eighties and nineties and there was no road infrastructure in this country, and we now have a road infrastructure that we can be proud of I don't, and actually I don't go think around. I'm getting an answer in, from in, you on so this in terms so in terms of those contracts and I have contacted the Minister this afternoon and the TII, that they do need to come before the Oireachtas Committee in terms of the justification yeah. for being able to absorb those costs that Geraldine spoke about. David, um, your view on this, bring uh, these companies before an Oireachtas Committee. Well, I don't think the government has a handle on the cost of living crisis at all. I'll just take a couple of examples. The taxi regulator earlier in the year hiked taxi fares by 13%. Even the taxi men were surprised. At the, uh, at the level of the increase. Some of them said, well, it's going to deter people from, um, uh, from taking taxis. But the regulator said, no, 13% it is. Uh, the, com uh, the Commission for Energy Regulation has hiked peak time uh, electricity rates without any uh, 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 firm idea of how that's going to be recouped. There's minimum unit alcohol pricing, which was introduced by this government, which hikes the price of cheap alcohol. It's meant to be a, a, health, a health protection measure, but the government knew that it had failed in Scotland uh, uh, as, a, as a tactic. So you're saying all... Oh, I suppose I'm saying the government uh, doesn't have a handle on being all made these... And whether there's, whether there's teeth there to do anything the, about it. Well, I don't think there's, a, a, there's joined up thinking at all. I mean, the TII have acquiesced in this. A government-appointed regulator has said these uh, increases are OK. I think the government has to take responsibility, responsibility for that, for the taxi increase, for minimum uh, alcohol pricing and for the, uh, their approach to uh, mm. energy. I don't think it really adds up. Um, Chair, about all of this, because there have been calls to freeze these increases, uh, to halt them, and uh, especially when it comes to the M50, I think there's like €140 million, Euros mm. what the M50 made last year in tolls and penalties on motorists. But right across the board, when you're talking about 10 roads, there's an awful lot, and Shane outlined it, there's an awful lot of money being made there. Um, what is it in the government's gift to do at this point? Well, I mean, the, like the, the TII are basically a state agency, so the government, they work for the government, so they can just roll back on these just as easily. And I mean, I, I think this is something they really have to consider because, you know, you can't in the one sense have a government that's telling workers, you know, that they have to exercise wage restraint and lower their expectations in terms of what's possible. And yet at the same time, then make actually the day-to-day -day running, you know, more expensive and increase the cost of living. It, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, um, Shane... I mean, you're, you're clearly expressing your disappointment with all of this. You're saying they should be brought before an Oireachtas committee. Do you believe that there will be a, a change on this, as, as uh, David has outlined there? Yeah, I suppose... A lot of increases have yeah. happened. And really, while there's uh, con con uh, people who are concerned and people who are surprised, mm. nothing's done about them. OK, well, I think there's definitely a failure of communication as well on the TII's behalf in terms of communicating with government. For, for example, on the M51 that actually is in public ownership, there's an opportunity there for them to communicate with the Department of Transport. The government has put in place... So I, you I, think I, I, the department had no knowledge of no, this? No, I think they were just informed and that the TII have signed up. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. Often, but what but I when do... were they informed? I mean, that's the, that's the point. I'm well, sure this didn't come completely out of the blue at a departmental I, level. Again, just to finish the point in terms of what can be done, I would disagree with David. I think there is an opportunity for the Department of Transport to look at what the additional revenue would be raised. I think it's somewhere in the region of maybe 20 million on the M51 alone. Mm-hmm. And if they are saying, well, we need this money for primary and secondary routes, that we raise these taxes and we put it into the more rural road system. Well, if that's the case, talk to the Department of Transport. Be, you know, be big about it. Go in and have the conversation okay. so that we so can look at... So this is a state so, agency, so you're, what, are you, what are you suggesting? Do you, are you suggesting a, a freeze on, on the price Absolutely, and I've communicated that to Eamon Ryan and the TII today because at least in the case of the one that's in public ownership, we can look at that. We've put in subventions for a huge amount, whether it be energy and other aspects of this, of this uh, country. We can do it here with the roads as well, not to pass it on to consumers, especially on the busiest one in the country. Uh, and, and Ger, on this, how do we compare with other European countries when it comes to what we are paying at the tolls because it's an awful lot of money I think people find it seems that they're you know they could be crossing two tolls every day to get to and from work such as the nature of of working Yeah, tolls can be more expensive in, in, in parts of, and particularly in France and countries like that. So it's, we're, we're not necessarily high in terms of the cost of tolls. Mm. But I think if I can just go back to one thing, yes, in these contracts for the, um, uh, the public partnership, the public-private partnership, there was an, an allowance for um, certain increases, but they, don't, they didn't have to increase them to the maximum. That, I think that is the point more than anything. Everybody is accepting that costs are going up and maybe some increase was necessary, but certainly not the maximum that was allowed. And it seems extraordinary that the TII signed off on that. OK, well, we'll have to see where that goes. Certainly there's a lot of anger out on the roads about that one. We'll leave it there. My thanks to Shane and to Ger. David will be staying on with us after the break. We take a look at the other big stories that have hit the headlines this week. So do stay with us.
Welcome back. Now we sit down with our panel and take a look at some of the big stories of the week. Journalist David Davenpower is still with me. We're also joined by News Talk presenter Shane Beatty, journalist with Ocean FM, Claire Ronan, and chairman with News Brands Ireland and COO of the Business Post, Colm O'Reilly. Now, first, the story that has dominated the headlines and airwaves this week is that of child sexual abuse that's alleged to have taken place in Blackrock College and other schools run by the Spiritans. At least 233 men have come forward and made allegations of abuse against 77 priests. Um, when we look at that story, Shane Beatty, the scale of it is really quite shocking, um, utterly horrendous, and you feel that more will come out. Yeah, it feels like a, a tap has been turned on here because every single day, I mean, if you read the Irish Times this week, there are further reports of people alleging uh, cases of abuse. What I was struck by was how swiftly the Taoiseach and the Taunish there responding to this. So we had Leo Varadkar in the Dáil today talking about an inquiry and in the past we've seen scandals and controversies where it takes quite some time before we even get onto the topic uh, of an inquiry or a tribunal of some kind. So what they seem to be saying is yes, and there's widespread political agreement with this, that yes, we need an inquiry. It's what form this inquiry is going to take. The key thing is it has to be victim or survivor-led because it really needs to be what they want. And what we need to find out is who knew what and when about this. So that's the key issue with it. But it seems like it's going to be a swift inquiry. And, um, Claire, it really strikes me that um, the ability of the order to keep this under wraps when we have the wave of abuse allegations that came out around Christian Brothers, when was it like some 20-odd years ago? All of while this was going on, here was a major order with so many priests involved and so many uh, alleged victims and people coming forward now telling their story. The ability to keep it under wraps and to pay off uh, abuse victims to the tune of €5 million. Euro. And, you know, wouldn't you wonder if that Dock on One programme hadn't been aired, would we ever hear about it? You know, um, the media did another super job. Mm. Uh, six people so far up until lunchtime today came forward since the programme has aired. But to think of 233 men already and there's going to be nothing but more and more people coming forward. I grew up near Blackrock um, and I knew a lot of people who went to Blackrock College. And what I couldn't stop thinking about was, there was a, there's a park in Mount Mary and we used to all play there when we were kids. And you know, teenagers, it was great, there were boys and girls. And to think that we were all playing football and the agony and pain that they must have had inside them every single day. And listening to the documentary when um, the poor two brothers' father rang the second brother and told him, mm -hmm. he said, I know because it happened to me. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine how that father felt? Now, people talk about Blackrock College being an expensive school, it's elite and they have a sense of arrogance and everything. What I knew was families who were sacrificing other luxuries to send their well, children. The point of this really is that, that a victim is a victim exactly. here, David, and it doesn't matter you know, what's your background or any of that when, when, when it comes to abuse and being a victim of abuse? That's right. And I was struck by some of the media commentary, which struck me as being uh, uh, pretty vicious, really. Um, I mean, there was one column which seemed to single out the victims in Blackrock and kind of deride them because they were perceived as being from an elite school, which I thought was sickening, really. Yeah. And then there was another columnist who used it to uh, say that religious orders should be wound up. But I think the media coverage is not being good here, really. I mean, there have been earlier cases of abuse in uh, Blackrock. The order, along with past pupils, had already, already moved to set up a forum. Uh, so this is not 
uh, coming completely out of a clear blue sky. Uh, and in fairness to the Spiritans, uh, they seem to have comprehended the, the scale of what was coming down the tracks and were moving uh, to set up restorative justice. They've already paid out without any non-disclosure uh, agreements. Uh, is it five million or six million? Uh, so I, I, I think the whole wor the world has collapsed on top of the Spiritans somewhat unfairly. Uh, these, the, 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 um, uh, the perpetrators... Well, um, we are hearing that at least one of the perpetrators is still living oh. on campus there. I mean, yeah, that was that was very while striking. There might be, while there that might was be a very sense striking. That our and probably, rank, and probably indefensible. Justice. Clearly, we still have victims and people coming forward who, to this point, Colin Field, they couldn't tell their story, they couldn't share their story, and whether there's accountability really there in, in what happens now. Yeah, look, it's 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 we were talking about this earlier on. It's just a sad state of affairs that yet again here we are back with another abuse scandal. We've mm -hmm. seen this throughout the you know the period of the sixties right through to the eighties, where children were involved in sport, where they're involved with educational societies uh, or any type of pastime. We're, we're seeing more and more on this. It's if it's not scouting, it's religious orders. If it's not religious orders, it's it's uh, it's schools. And, you know, the victims can't be forgotten in all of this. And, you know, and the voice of the victims and how this process goes forward and how we find restitution for them is just hugely important. Yeah, and um, I suppose the government keen as well with all of this to say that whatever way we move on this, we need to keep in mind that there's a Garda investigation. Yes. Um, I want to talk now and to turn now to a woman who's been foremost in our thoughts um, this week. Well, actually, she's been foremost in the thoughts, I think, in, many, in the public conscience for years now, and that's Vicky Phelan, who passed away. Um, there have been tributes in Leinster House, and what struck me about those tributes, and tributes we heard from many people, was that, in fact, she doesn't want tributes. Yeah. What Vicky Phelan really wants to see is action. Yeah, she said, I don't want your eulogies, you know, when I pass, and that's so true. And she's someone who's a household name for all the wrong reasons. This is someone who we shouldn't know, we shouldn't have known her name for these reasons. And I just felt, I mean, we obviously knew when Vicky had been so honest about her whole process and the terminal cancer diagnosis, but there was some part of me that sort of thought it, may, it mightn't happen. We kind of hoped against hope mm -hmm. that something that, that the, the medication would work or the treatment would work. Unfortunately, it hasn't. But the one thing is that she was very, very clear on that when I go, we need this, we need to keep fighting on this and we need to make sure that it doesn't happen to other women. And that is her legacy. It's an incredible legacy to think that she's essentially changed healthcare in Ireland for women. Do you think the political appetite is there, Claire? Do you think we are going to see those changes that Vicky so. so badly wants to see? I think what she did was she gave women a sense of empowerment. I mean, I even noticed myself, I had blood tests recently and I went to the doctor and I read the results of the tests rather than just handing them over. And I always think of her sitting in that waiting room and actually just glancing at her own file, which is something that, do you know, the way, you know, you, I would have felt a few years ago was that it was nearly not any of my business, that I wouldn't be reading the doctor's notes. But actually, it is me, it is... It was her, it was her body she was entitled to know. I think she's made a huge difference. I think, she, I think Shane, you're so right. She was so special that we actually thought when she went to America that maybe it would definitely work. You know, everyone was behind her. I heard from a friend of hers that she spent one day a week answering emails and letters from people. She got so much correspondence. Mm. She was an incredible girl, really incredible.
Um, and, you know, campaigns couldn't ask for a better advocate, um, a better advocate for them. People, women couldn't ask for a better advocate than someone like Vicky Phelan, who wasn't afraid to stand up, wasn't afraid um, to challenge, challenge the status quo, to ask those questions, to be extremely nosy and curious at the start to see what was actually happening in her own medical case, but then to do so on behalf of the women of Ireland, David. Yeah, I, I think... She struck a chord because, and I don't mean any disrespect to her memory, of course not, she seemed like an ordinary person caught mm -hmm. up in an extraordinary situation. And that's why I think the people could relate to her and realise that she was somebody special. Uh, but we still don't have legislation for uh, a duty of candour on the part of the medical mm -hmm. world. Uh, we're told it's in the works. But it was interesting to see that the HSE is objecting uh, to this on the basis that it could undermine trust in programmes like cer cervical cancer screening. And in, nobody wants that. You know, people, the, the, the screening programmes are vitally important, particularly in a, 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 condition, in a condition like cer cervical cancer. They're, in the wake of the of the controversy, obviously, it did impact on the uptake of cancer screening. And I think that's screening. something that Vicky Phelan strongly stated. Despite her case, she was saying, this screening is hugely important. And, and, you know, despite what happened to me, it's there for good and it's for the benefit of everyone to, to, to be screened. But she wanted that openness around the whole process There's a debate well. about it, though, is there not, that uh, any audit will throw up discrepancies in any uh, uh, screening programme. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean there are mistakes. There are inevitable discrepancies. Well, we, uh, we do know with the cases going through the courts of, of the hundreds of women for whom this was impacted and, and you know, that their, um, that their cancer could have been identified earlier as well um, as that. Um, let's talk now about a man on the other side uh, of the water, and that is Donald Trump running for office again in 2024. Absolutely no surprise at all there, Colm, but very little fanfare really about it. And we even had Ivanka Trump, his daughter, saying, you know, best of luck, Dad, but I'm not, I'm not going to be out running this campaign with you. But th and that would, that would tally with the lack of media interest that appears to be there as well. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, the, uh, at this Mar-a-Lago announcement to say that he was running for president, I think what was most noticeable was what I would describe as a dour, nearly downbeat assessment. Um, his his demeanour, his voice, the lack of enthusiasm, the pomp that we're used to at Trump just just disappeared. Um, interesting to see that the the New York Post, uh, Rupert Murdoch's title, has uh, probably uh, captured the moment uh, in some of their headlines. And Ron DeSantos is absolutely the coming man. But I think the most important thing with Trump to, to probably realise is while this might be the beginning of the end, I think fundamentally, what it doesn't do is uh, get to the heart at the um, antagonism that exists between Republicans and Democrats in, in the US. Um, DeSantos is an unknown quantity, and, uh, and while we may be seeing the end of Trump, that doesn't mean we see the end of Trumpism. And briefly, Claire, as well, I suppose the discord between the Trump, those Trump voters and what they feel are, are those in power, you know, who don't, who don't stand for them, who don't recognise them, that maybe there is, whether well, we see the, the New York Post go out and, you know, bury the headline about some businessman running to be president again, that there is a huge groundswell of support there for a Trump or a someone like Trump. Yes, there is. And I think that when you're commentating on American politics from somewhere as, as comfortable as Ireland, you can have an opinion. But when you go to the States 
And we were actually talking with Senator earlier on, who's just back, and you get the mood of the country. It's very different from sitting on a programme like this. Um, I thought, uh, well, I was surprised to see Milani there because when he left uh, office the last time, you know, you thought she was going to be gone into the hills and never seen again, but she was there. And Ivanka... Um, leaving him, she, you know, he will probably uh, miss her, but um, it's going to be a dirty campaign. Yeah, it sure is. Um, let's talk about Qatar World Cup. Shane, it's kicking off this weekend. Um, you know, I mean, the worst build-up possible, I think, yeah. for the biggest sporting event um, in the world. So much overshadowing it for migrant labour to the anti-gay laws in this country. Do you think this argument that's being made by the world's eyes looking on Qatar and players making a stand, like we're hearing the English player Harry Kane is wearing this, this armband, one love tonight, supporting gay rights. Um, he's sorry that he's announced he will do this and expects to be you know, penalised for doing so, that that will make a difference in a country like Qatar. I think it's a load of rubbish. I really don't see that having an impact. What's really struck me, I mean, whatever about sports stars, you've all these global brands who, for one week or one month of the year, will put the pride colours, the rainbow flag on all their products, and then they will go and sponsor a World Cup in a country which has such an appalling record when it comes to human rights and to LGBT community people as well. The big fear in that community, by the way, is that there's going to be a big crackdown and even further crackdown on gay people in Qatar after this World Cup because they're worried that they're going to be influenced by Western people coming over for the World Cup. So they're going to have to, in some way, crack down even more and cleanse the nation, as it were, of this. It's frightening, it really is. I certainly won't be watching the World Cup. Yeah, will you be watching it, David? I'll watch the later stages. I wouldn't be a big fan of soccer, but... You don't you know, have the chart up on the wall I now, don't filling have the chart it out from the, the early group stages, no? But I think outside the stadiums, it's going to be a disaster because uh, the Qatari security forces are drafting in uh, personnel from uh, all across the Arab world, from Tunisia, from Morocco, from Turkey, because they don't have the numbers. I suspect there'll be a chaotic chain of command if drunken uh, uh, British supporters start confronting these guys. God knows what's going to happen. So uh, I think you can look out for trouble on, on the terraces. If they, or do they still have terraces? <laughs> yeah, I know behind the scenes how, or how this is all actually going to play out, especially, as we say, with the world eyes on it. Um, Colm, you're here uh, today. You've come from the News Brands mm -hmm. Ireland Newspaper Awards. Let's talk about um, the big winners. The big winners. Um, scoop of the year. What was it and, and, and who did yeah. it go to? So um, Daniel McConnell of the Irish Examiner won Scoop of the Year and it was to do with the Catherine Zappone um, case for Fine Gael this year. A phenomenal story and indeed Daniel had a, a stellar night. Uh, and top of Scoop of the Year, he won Political Journalist of the Year and indeed took home the overall prize as Journalist of the Year. So a big, big evening for Daniel McConnell. Very well deserved. Done phenomenal a regular work on this show, so yes. I can say from everyone here, congrats uh, to you, Danny. That's a great haul that the examiner took home because I know uh, journalists, young journalists of the year went to Kira Phelan That's there right. as well. Um, there were some award-winning front pages. I think we can bring them to you. Front page uh, for the, 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 the front page of the year, it was the Irish Sun, I think we could show you first. Is that right? Uh, fairy tale of New York, and that was Katie Taylor's win over Amanda Serrano in Madison Square Garden. As she said, it was the best moment of her career uh, for the Irish Sun. It was obviously the best moment today for them to take home that uh, a fantastic front page. And the headline of the year went to the Irish Daily Star. Yes. 
Kiss Your Assets Dubai. <laughs> that one's great. It's a fantastic headline. Colm, remind us of that one. That was on about uh, Daniel Kinahan, wasn't it, fleeing Dubai? Yeah, Daniel Kinahan fleeing Dubai. And indeed, if you look at the photography that's on the front page, Daniel Kinahan is giving, uh, he's pointed to uh, his assets goodbye. Uh, a phenomenal front page to do the story with the crackdown across um, as the United States came out to say that there would be no hiding place for the Kinahan cartel and the hiding of their assets in, in, in uh, the Middle East. So a phenomenal story, and look, you know, some of the headline, other headlines that were there were equally as good, but uh, they took it home this year in, uh, in, uh, yeah. in, in some style. Put the spotlight, Claire, on, 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 on newspapers, I suppose, today, and, 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 you know, I suppose that whether people are buying them anymore, how much we're, we're going online in order to get our news now. It's certainly an evolving time for the trade, isn't it, and a challenging one? It's a challenging one. I mean, I think that local newspapers are still surviving quite well because they have the local stories, you know. But actually, there was a conversation before we came out about how difficult it can be to get a newspaper near Dáil Éireann at the moment, you know. Um, but they're still surviving, and with front pages like that, I mean, they're just grabbing attention and we're very lucky with the standard of journalists that we have. I agree with Claire. I think there's a problem with distribution. A lot of uh, corner shops now aren't stocking newspapers and uh, Colin might have a better handle on this, but I just wonder, is there a, a reset needed mm. of the deal between the distributors and the corner shops? Because it's getting increasingly hard to get a paper in this town. Yeah, I think, I think one of the things that's relevant here really is that, you know, people are reading more news now than they ever have done. And the proliferation of mobile phones and apps has really taken that on. Uh, print, you know, we, we, the industry still sells in, in excess of 10 million newspapers every month in this country. So print has still got a very loyal audience. It is, tends to be at an older age. It is in decline as, as, as readers go online. Uh, to the point of distribution, yes, some local shops are, are finding it more difficult. And I think there's a body of work for the industry mm -hmm. to do there in terms of costs. But uh, I, I think overall, they're, they're still across retail. OK, um, another uh, story, uh, Alexa. Well, there's Amazon, of course, Amazon in, in, in tech news, and we might get a chance to get to that. Um, but what Amazon have rolled out from a bit of good PR, I think, that they want to, they want to put out across Ireland is uh, the new Alexa Irish accent. I think we can have a listen to that accent now. Alexa, what's the crack? The crack is mighty. Alexa, what's the best Irish film ever? Well, it's not Wild Mountain Time. Alexa, who's your one? Her name escapes me. What do you think? I have heard think it. she sounds quite now, look, it's a robot, right? Yeah. But she does sound a bit downbeat, she? does, she? yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's very... I hadn't heard it because uh, we were actually trying it in the office today and couldn't get it to work. I love what they've done with this, though, that obviously they appreciate that some Irish people, I'm from Kildare, I can attest to this, we struggle with their THs, so it's tanks instead of thanks. So Alexa's kind of reflected this in the Irish accent. And also we've gone for the soft Irish tea where you'd say the Tonight Show as opposed to the Tonight Show. So reflecting the way we speak in Ireland, I think okay. it's a great idea. Um, Claire, what do you make of it? I mean, how important is it for you to have your, your timer or your, soup, your, you know, your shopping list read out to you in an Irish accent? Does it matter? <laughs> no, it doesn't. But what I was laughing to myself today is sometimes my children amaze me. So they say, oh, my God, that's sick. 
So I would have thought that's a bad thing, but actually something being sick is good. Yeah. Do you think and Alexa then, will know that? <laughs> I don't know. But I was also thinking in Sligo, they say, you know, it's cat. So, and if it's cat melogen, it's really bad. <laughs> God, you're, really, you're going to really start challenging now, uh, Alexa. Do you know what I was interested in? The accent will only be available enough in a female voice for now, giving rise once again to the claim that we do hear uh, that tech companies give more prominence to a female assistant uh, voice, that they've a, lot, a long way to go there. The worry is now, of course, the crowd in Cork will want their own Alexa <laughs> voice. Uh, but the question I really want to answer, if I work for Amazon, I'd say, Alexa, do I still have a job? Yes, <laughs> yes, it, oh, well, it is the other big story. Um, uh, the Thornerso will say, yes, you, you, you do still have a job, but we'll have to see how that one plays out. Uh, Colm, your thoughts on any of this? Yeah, um, well, you know, I, I fear for the future when we're sitting talking about what Alexa's going to be doing with accents and, uh, and Irish phrases. But look, it is going to become an increasingly bigger part of our, our technology in the home. That's true. Um, I think I'll just stick to the regular. OK, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I'll say a good bit of good PR, really, for Amazon at the end of a, uh, a difficult week for them. That is it from us. My thanks to Shane, to Claire, David and Colm. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also now find us on Instagram and on TikTok tonight, VMTV. But from all the late team here, good night, take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.